Well, this morning um, we have the privilege of not hearing from Pastor Dave yet another time. Um, we get to hear from a different voice, which I always think uh, I look forward to, and I think many of you look forward to as well, hearing a testimony from members of our own body at JCC. Uh, as you know, for much of uh, the past several months, we've been moving through this series on identity and what it means uh, to belong in Christ, to be um, given this, this new identity. And at the end of Romans 8, one of the thing, things it says is that in, in Christ, right, we're being conformed to the image of God's firstborn son so that Christ might have many brothers and sisters. Right? That, that Christ is forming a new family around himself is again and again the language of the New Testament. So to that end, and, and kind of uh, in conjunction with some of those themes, um, we asked Chris and Christine Freidenberg uh, to come share it with us. This actually goes back uh, a ways. Uh, Chris and Christine ha have been involved in foster care for how long now? When, when did you guys first start? Almost two years ago. Um, and so knowing that that was something, uh, a journey they were on, something they'd been praying about for a long time and then been stepping into, I asked them a while ago, could we pray for them in some way? Would they be willing to share what they were doing and, and could we sort of commission them? You know, we commission missionaries to go to far-flung corners of the earth, but um, what greater mission is there than to welcome others into our homes and families in the way that they're doing? Um, and they said, yeah, I, th I think we'd be up for that. And then we were figuring that out and then a, a pandemic hit and we couldn't figure out quite how to do that. And so this spring we uh, touched base again and they said, you know what, we've actually had a lot of time in, in these past few years to think about um, what this call is, what this mission is, how it shaped us, the things God is teaching us through it. Um, so in addition to just having you pray for us, we'd, we'd love to share some of those encouragements with the church. I said, that would be amazing. So um, Chris and Christine are here this morning, and I'm going to hand off to them, and they're going to share with us uh, about their, um, their experiences in um, the mission of being a foster care family. So thanks for being here together with us. Well, good morning. Um, for those of you that probably have known me for a while, you know that this getting up in front of people thing is not something I do. <laughs> um, but I am actually really excited to share with you the journey we've gone on through the last two years. Um, first, I'm, we are very thankful to have this opportunity to share with you and thank you guys in person for all the prayers and support you've given us since uh, we started this and even before when it was just an idea that we wanted to do. Um, so to be honest, I really don't know where to start with the, what's been going on. There's just been so much. Um, but we had talked and prayed for years, even before we had kids, that there was a need out there and we wanted to be a part of helping with that. Um, for me, it went even as far back to when I was a kid and my parents had asked my brother and I what we thought about being a foster family. And as a foster sister, it was really fun getting to play with them and have extra siblings around it was also very, very heartbreaking when they left. Um, and I watched the pain that my mom and dad felt over that and that they still feel for the, ch the children that they had to let go. But even knowing that, I still wanted to do, <laughs> do this. 
And then for Chris, um, close family friends of his had adopted, let me get the numbers right. Uh, they, had a, they had family friends who adopted five kids from two different families in less than a year. And his family was very close with them. He watched these kids grow up and he's heard their stories. And so for him, it was also very personal. So between that and us both having the spiritual gift of hospitality, it's kind of no brainer that we opened up our house and we do all this stuff. But, and as a couple, we've always loved kids, which I'm sure many of you have noticed when we helped out with VBS, youth group. Chris can usually be seen holding whatever baby is around because he just loves it. <laughs> oh. So back in the fall of 2019, we uh, had made the decision to start doing what is called respite. Um, our friend Tara had been doing it, and we had been wanting to be able to help her if she ever took more step towards having her own placement. And we also got to know the place or the respite that she was doing, which was this wonderful little boy. And we wanted to help out, so we filled out all the paperwork and started doing the respite. So respite is where you take a child who is already in care, already with a foster family, and you have them from anywhere from just an hour or two to up to 14 days. Uh, typically, it's just a long weekend. And it's this really beneficial process for the child and the foster family because sometimes you just need a break. Um, we even encourage our foster daughter, like if you feel you are overwhelmed here and you need a break, you can tell us, and she would. She would come right up to us and say, I think we all need a break from each other. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll get a respite. And we didn't take it personally because it's hard. She was in a new home, new rules, new people, and you just need a break. And respite was fun. It was like a, like a vacation with the kids. We got to do fun things, take them hiking or uh, take them apple picking, and kind of felt like being the fun parent for a weekend. One of the biggest blessings through, uh, for us through respite was getting to see some of the same kids on a repeat basis. Uh, sometimes you go, a kid will come to you and you don't see them again because they go to another respite or they transition to a new house or they go home. Uh, but we were able to do respite for uh, three different kids on like a rotating basis. And the nice thing with that was they got to know us. We got to know them and they got to get an idea of what it was like to be safe with us. Um, one of the ways you know a foster kid is feeling safe with you is when they start to act out because they know they can express themselves and they're not gonna get hurt. And this is, it's kind of, it's a good thing, but it's also really hard. <laughs> So we did that from about fall till January. In January, we decided we wanted to take the next step. We wanted to get our license. And to get your official foster license, there's a lot of paperwork, filling out the same questions over and over and over again. Uh, there's also home interviews where they come into your house and they see what your house is like, see what your family is like. They ask you a lot of personal questions about how you grew up and why you want to do what you're doing. 
and we were really excited. Everything seemed to be going well, and then COVID hit. And every, everything changed. We had, couldn't get our fingerprinting done right away because everyone was closed. Uh, we couldn't have our home visit the way we normally would. Eventually we got it scheduled through FaceTime. So we're wandering around our house with our cell phone. This is where the fire extinguishers are, this or this. It's just not at all how we expected it. And at the same time, many foster homes were deciding to close their doors for the duration of the pandemic because you really have yourself open up. You have kids coming from backgrounds you don't know. You have family visits, which are very important. And you have no control over how careful the parents are being. And it makes a situation where you already feel out of control, very out of control. So we had to prayerfully consider what we wanted to do about that. We, we prayed, we talked to some close friends, and in the end we decided that what God really wanted for us was to open our doors. That this was the time he chose for us to start. I had no idea when we started this that there would ever be a pandemic, that there would be this many kids in need. But the most important thing for us was to say yes to whatever God called us to whoever God called us to love. And in the last two years, we have had five different kids call us mom and dad. We have said goodbye, potentially forever, to many children that we have loved. And God has been with us every single moment. I, I can honestly say we could not have done this journey without him. When you do foster care, you basically open your door to the broken, to the brokenness that's in the world. And you're just asked to love. You're asked to love and you're asked to follow him wherever he leads you. And we're not perfect. Foster parents are not perfect. There's this rumor that you have to be this fantastic parent in order to foster parent. Trust me, you don't. <laughs> and you just have to be willing to love. And the kids that come to you, they're not perfect either, but they're wonderful. They've gone through a lot, but they are beautiful examples of who God is. And so are their parents, even when it's hard to see that. And that is something that Chris is going to talk a little bit more about and more of the uh, biblical side of our journey. So th through this talk, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some of the trauma that the kids in care of experience. There's just there's no way to do this justice without it. Um, I'm going to be a little circumspect about some of it, um, but I'll, I'll be honest, this was not an easy sermon to write, and I don't expect it to be an easy one to listen to. Um, I'm also going to be not sharing any identifying information. The kids that are in care, um, we need to be making sure we're keeping them safe, because um, some of them have come out of very dangerous situations. Um, but also, they're not our kids, and the ones that are just coming out of a situation of neglect it's not for us to put stuff out online about. 
So we're going to be making sure we, we respect that. Um, kind of the, the theme of how we've approached foster care is through the theme of love. It's something that runs throughout Christianity. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. So just think through that list and how it might apply to people that are involved in foster care. Um, it's intimidating when you're thinking about applying that to people that are hard to love. But it, love is such a core part of Christianity that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded to love your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And he also had to add on the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So that love there is um, agape love. It's not a we offer our thoughts and prayers kind of love. It's a pure, willful, sacrificial love in action. A love that is intentionally desiring another's highest good above yourself. And that's what we've been trying to keep at the core of our foster journey. Um, as Christians, we have the best example in the actions of the Father sending Jesus to die on the cross for us while we were still sinners. It's a love that never gives up. And we'd love to tell you that once you choose to live out that love as a family, that everything just falls perfectly into place. But it's just, it doesn't work that way. The thing is, this kind of love isn't something that comes naturally to us in our sinful state. But to God, it's not just natural, but it's an integral part of who God is. There's a love between the different parts of the Trinity that's critical to who he is. And you can't take away God's love for us without drastically changing who God is. By drawing closer to him and experiencing that love, we're able to understand what real love means. And only through him can we show and experience agape love. In the past couple of years, we've sometimes found ourselves struggling with some very dark and unthinkable realities. There are storylines that my wife will spend a great deal of effort and time trying to avoid hearing about in shows, movies, and books that she's reading. She has a very active imagination, and those storylines become very real to her, even when they're for fictional characters. Um, she watches a lot of Hallmark, Hallmark movies because of that, frequently with my commentary prattling on in the background. Now, as a foster mom, many of those things that she tried so hard to avoid are being painfully told to her by a small child with peanut butter and jelly on their face. As hard as this process is, it makes sense. The need for foster care comes from a place of brokenness. Being a parent is hard. Add to that struggles of addiction, PTSD from abuse when you were a child, depression, and more. Things can spiral out of control very fast. There sometimes can be decades of trauma that parents need to work through to get themselves to a healthy place for themselves and for their children. But the goal of foster care isn't to take kids away from their parents. It's to make sure that kids are being cared for while their parents become a healthy family for their kids. It's a healing that takes time, 
and it's time that's worth putting in. Something we've learned is that for kids who are in care, frequently their parents were in care themselves. Over a year ago, we met with a caseworker about a child. Let's, give him, let's call him Aaron. We'd done respite for Aaron every month for a while. And then his mom gave up custody. She wasn't able to get herself together into a place where she could be a, a parent for her child. Um, since his behavior was beyond what one parent could handle, his foster mom at the time was single, and it was just not something she could do long-term. She had done it for, I want to say, a couple years, but fostering or raising a kid that's had a lot of trauma on your own is a significant amount of work. Um, so since we already knew him, we wanted to see if the relationship could go farther. So we went into the DCF office and met with a social worker. And when she came in, she was carrying several inch-thick folders of, of paperwork. Um, I don't know if she saw a panic look on her face, but she quickly reassured us that a lot of the files were from on the mom when she was growing up. So let's think about this for a second. We learn a lot from our parents. When a child is raised by a neglectful or abusive parent, the pain that's inflicted affects their whole being. It even alters their brain development. It's not just learned behavior. They form coping mechanisms that, while they may seem helpful in the short term, they frequently just cover the pain and make it harder to deal with. Sometimes the coping mechanisms are just plain harmful and cause more harm as time goes on. Um, one coping strategy we've seen is pretending everything is fine when talking with their abuser. There are foster kids that have absolutely no desire to talk with the parent that abused them, and they'll make that perfectly clear when they're talking with us or their social worker. However, when they go to a visit, they act as everything's fine, everything's normal, because they've learned that that's how they stay safe. Acknowledging that there's anger and hurt there increases the anger and hurt that they receive. Unfortunately, it's that same behavior that makes it easy to get into and stay in abusive relationships later in life. This is all stuff that, as a family, we've had to wrestle with. When you take a child into your home through foster care, you're given a rundown of the neglect or abuse that brought them to you, at least as far as people are aware of. There's frequently more that they're not ready to talk about. Um, if the child is school-aged, you may also get information on their behavior. Over time, as your foster son or daughter learns to trust you, um, that they don't need to feed you lies to keep you happy, you begin to learn more. Um, sometimes you learn things the caseworker didn't know. As foster parents, we need to help them learn positive ways to channel their feelings. And children, this can look like hitting or threatening har to harm themselves or others when they're feeling angry or unsafe. Sometimes, even breaking items they know that are important to them or someone else. And of course, they know what words to use to hurt you because those same words were used on them as part of their everyday lives. One of the hardest things was learning what things would trigger our foster daughter. Like, for example, how many of you parents have yelled at your kids or raised your voices? I know I do it on a regular basis, even though I try really hard not to. It's a very common reaction, um, but here's the problem. When we get to the point in that frustration that we have to do that, our girls are upset, 
because they know we've reached the point where we'll take away screen time or something like that. Our foster daughter, on the other hand, and with many other foster kids, have learned that yelling is a precursor to abuse. Kids in foster care have experienced deep trauma during most of their development. Many of them have coping mechanisms that make it really hard to show them this agape love. Feeling it is one thing, but it's hard not to get angry at kids who lash out in anger when they're learning to live with boundaries for the first time. It's hard to persevere with someone that's determined to push you away before you push them away, like so many others have. Remember how this is something we talked about isn't something that happens naturally? But God has that agape love for us. He, he keeps pushing with us. He keeps loving with us no matter how much we lash out at him. And by knowing that, we can turn around and show that love to other people. It's one thing to have agape love for the child, you know, the, the one sitting there that you're taking care of day to day. But it's also something else to have that for the parent. When you know some of the darkest sins of another person, especially when those sins have affected a child that you love, it can be a real struggle to see the parents as people that deserve that love as well. This love isn't just for those who give it to us in return. It's also for those that make you want to pull out your hair. To reflect back on the, the Corinthians packet, passage, love does not dishonor others. One of our constant prayers has been to have God help us see the parents through his eyes. Um, we need to remember that they're just like you and me. Even Paul talked about not doing the things he wanted to do and doing the things he didn't want to do. Each of us have our faults, things we struggle with. Sometimes we don't even struggle that hard against them. I was talking recently with someone about how he's been handling COVID and started talking about his son who uses alcohol as one way to, to cope. While there was concern over that, he also pointed out that he understood where his son was coming from because he used food as his way of coping. This isn't to say that there's no difference in the consequences of these actions and that there shouldn't be consequences. There's a trust that's broken that takes time to rebuild and make sure everybody's safe. But to God, the fact that we have faults is what matters, not how bad the fault is. God doesn't need to be afraid of us hurting him, so his arms are always open for us. If we want to reflect God's love, we need to love the broken, hurting people that are around us. Knowing that he loves us despite how much we've hurt him is a big step in that direction, but it's still hard to love somebody that's hurt you or somebody that you care about. It's, it'd be easy to look at these parents and look down on them because of what they've done wrong. It'd be easy to say that we wouldn't give up on our child, that we would get the help we need to keep them, that we wouldn't stop fighting, but that's not what God calls us to. The love God has for us doesn't keep a record of wrongs, and our love for everyone else needs to be the same. He calls us to look at the log in our own eyes instead of the splinter in somebody else's. All of us have persistent sins that we struggle with. There isn't a real difference between those, whatever they are, and anyone else's. So think of somebody that hurt you or hurt someone you care about. This could be a parent, a child, a friend, a coworker. If you're having trouble thinking of somebody, 
Think of a parent that takes out their anger on their child or not knowing how to calm them down gives them some of what they use to calm down and forget their own life. Many of us wouldn't think of ourselves as having enemies. But when God tells us to love our enemies in Matthew 22, I think this is who he's talking about. People that behave in ways that every fiber of our being cry out is wrong. But we're still supposed to love them just as God loves us, whether or not they're ready for it. True agape love needs to erase the tendency to divide people into us and them. The walk of a Christian isn't easy. How do you both feel and show agape love to a person who hurt, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, the child you love? How do you have patience with them when they haven't shown patience themselves? Be kind when they haven't and sometimes still aren't. And protect when they fail to protect. Knowing God's love ourselves and relying on him to help us see other people as he sees them, knowing he sees them the same way that he sees us, is the key to consistently reflecting God's agape love. The truth of it is, these kids will always be their parents' kids, even though they no longer are. They're they're not truly our kids. But they're also our kids in a way that they're not their parents' kids right now. There's this tension we need to hold of knowing that every kid that walks through our doors are our kid. They're family for as long as they're with us. But they're also not our family in a very real way. The goal isn't to keep them. It's to show them that fatherly agape love. Even if things don't go to plan and they're adopted, the family they came from still has a real impact on their life. They're both our family and not our family at the same time. Whatever happens. These kind of paradoxes are sprinkled throughout Christianity. Christ being fully God and fully human. The tension of being saved by faith without works being dead. The Trinity. It's easy to say that God is one God while still being three, but understanding it's harder. But when you're loving a kid like they're your own and loving their parents with agape love, you start to understand it more. When you're living through the anger of what a parent has done to have their kid taken away, while still knowing that some of that pain was inflicted on them when they were younger, loving both the abused and the abuser, the neglected and the neglectful, you start to understand that life isn't simple or straightforward. I'll be honest, the Trinity makes me uncomfortable. I can't understand it. It's hard to wrap my mind around. But so does loving somebody... So does somebody that, loving somebody that hurt a child that I love deeply. Living in that uncomfortableness day to day makes me more okay with not being able to wrap myself, my mind around some of these other paradoxes in Christianity. The, the Trinity, the interplay between salvation through faith or through grace and gr- the faith being dead without action. None of this is possible without God because we can trust him we can walk forward in faith that dis- the, walk forward in faith through that discomfort, knowing that He has it under control. Um, we're also not called to live for ourselves. If our focus is how we can be uncomfortable, how we can feel safe, we're not following Christ to the cross. He asked us to love others the way Christ loves the church. 
This is something that just donating money can't do. God himself had to die on the cross to atone for our sins. If you think that Christ was not just willing but comfortable with that, remember how distressed he was praying in the garden. We need to put ourselves in places that make us uncomfortable to follow that example. Most of what foster care involves sacrificing is time and energy and a fair bit of sanity. Um, So some of you may have heard about a little issue we had at the hospital in the fall, starting in October. There was a cyber attack that resulted in us bringing our whole network down and painstakingly bringing it back piece by piece, computer by computer. IT, which is where I work, was working rotating shifts around the clock to make sure everything we brought back up wasn't infected and get everything back up and functional. It was an insanely stressful time. But that wasn't the most stressful thing I had going on. Our foster child at the time, let's call her Bella, had been removed from her, father, or from her mother's home due to extreme abuse. Her dad hadn't been around for most of her memory, but once he found out what had happened, he worked hard at getting reunified. De- dealing with caring for her while she was dealing with those emotions and thoughts as a child of getting to know her father and fears that if anything didn't go well, it meant she'd be returned home to her mother. That's where most of my stress was coming from. Sometimes caring for these kids and the pain that comes with it is a sacrifice in and of itself. It's also a sacrifice of safety. And my kids are one of the best examples I can give. When we started this, we agreed that we only wanted to take kids that were younger than ours. There are a lot of good, practical reasons for that. And it's still still our plan, but sometimes God interferes. And this is what happened with Bella. A few days before she came to live with us, there was an email that got sent out to foster families looking for her next placement. Christine felt a tug to say yes, but Bella was a little older than Lorna. So even so, that tug didn't go away. After praying and talking over as a family, decided to reach out for a little more information. One of the things we learned in our training is the importance of accepting a placement that's right for the family and that it's okay to say if it's, no if it's not. While waiting for the call from the social worker, Christine was sitting outside during her devotional time. The scripture she was reading that day was in Matthew, where Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and into the thrashing waves. Sometimes following Jesus defies earthly logic. Stepping out of a boat, I wouldn't think I could walk on water. It was that logic we used when deciding to only take children younger than ours. We knew the long list of potential problems that could come when the birth order shifts. Still, we were being told to come to Jesus. The moment Christine closed her Bible, the social worker called. Christine isn't isn't one to say that something is from God lightly instead of a coincidence. So when she told me she felt like God wanted us to take Bella, I didn't argue. Taking a traumatized kid that was older than our girls did come with extra challenges. One of which was the fact that even simple things, sometimes even good things, can trigger memories which lead into dramatic outbursts. While this can happen at any time, it especially happens around bedtime, when activities are winding down and they don't have as much to distract their minds. Um, And let me tell you, an eight-year-old can get the top of a mom bag really swinging when they're throwing a fit. Nothing harmful ever happened, but understandably, our girls were scared by some of these outbursts. 
between the fact that Bella's dad did everything asked of him and the risk of visits getting cut off due to COVID cases rising, the transition from our house to his happened a little bit faster than it normally would. Um, it was a good move, but like any fast adjustment, the weekends, or we had her over for so, or like any fast adjustment, it was, it was tough on her. So we had her back over for some weekends, so she knew she w we weren't just being cut off from her, that we did still care about her. Um, even though our kids knew those weekends would be rough, knew they'd get yelled at, and that there would be very well be a tantrum or something would get broken, they still wanted to do it. Partly because they care about their foster, kid, foster sister, but also our daughters knew she needed it. And that's self-sacrifice. Knowingly signing up for a situation that you mo know you might get hurt because the other person needs it. Another other thing is we're God's tool and we have a role to play in the life of these kids, but we can't fix them. We don't have control over that. I don't know about other parents of school-age kids, but I sometimes have a tough time getting my kids out the door in time for school, much less some of these bigger things. Going back to uh, Aaron, I know in his short life, he had experienced more pain than I have and was deeply traumatized. The first place he went after leaving his foster mother was a residential program at Howard Center to learn how to handle his emotions better. The program lasts two weeks, and DCF was struggling to find a placement for him after he left that program. Since we already knew them, DCF asked us if we could be the new placement, but for a few reasons, one of which was we didn't have a bed for him to sleep in, um, we had to say no. For respite, there's not a, a requirement for a dedicated bed, but clearly if there's someone's being placed with you, you want them to have a place that's theirs to sleep. Um, after talking about it, we agreed we could take him for a week. It'd be along the lines of a respite care, but nobody knew where he was going after that. And he had been through a lot in the last little bit. Try to imagine that, not just being in our situation, but being in his situation. You get taken away from your parents that you love, even though they neglected you. Your foster mother that had been caring for you for over years that she couldn't continue to care for you. We couldn't control any of that. But at least we can make it so the family he went to after coming out of his treatment was one that he knew. I should mention here that we really didn't know what would happen if DCF couldn't find a new placement for him. We certainly wouldn't kick him out, so he may have ended up in our home longer than he, we anticipated, and that's happened with placements with other people. We also couldn't control the emotions he was going through his head as he worked through everything that was happening. Prior to this, Christine and I spent a great deal of time praying and asking God if it had been a forever family for him. If love was all it took, the answer would have been easy, yes. And the same thing for his foster mom before us. The answer would have been yes, but life isn't that simple. Thankfully, God was with us and walking alongside us through this time. As much as we wanted to be that forever family for him, to help him carry that baggage, to strip his pain away, we didn't have control and it wasn't God's plan. We had to walk forward and trust that God had a plan and would have a good home for him after he left ours. Fortunately, the week he had with us gave the, the, uh, the family that was interested in taking him but was going to be out of town some time to get back, and it worked out that they took him as the placement after that, and he's now adopted into that family. When faced with the trauma that even the few kids we've met through foster care have gone through, I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do to help. 
but I know I can love them and care for them and leave the rest to God. When you bring all of this together, there's a lot of heavy stuff to being a foster parent. The pain of having a child share their pain with you. The pain of seeing the fears they have and not being able to do more than tell them that you're fighting for them. The pain of seeing parents fail to get back on track. The struggle of not knowing what's going to happen or when. Sometimes you can't even find words to express what you want to pour out to God. How can you put words? How can you put words to an elementary child breaking down and crying because they're being afraid of being returned to a home that wasn't safe? To watch a parent break down crying because their child tells them they don't want to talk to them again, but knowing that the parent has given their child every reason to say it. How do you react to someone too young to walk down the street alone has real words of wisdom for an adult friend leaving an abusive relationship and caring for a child that has known so much pain and trauma in their short life is a heavy weight to bear. Fortunately, we can pour that to God. He understands what we're going through and what it means to us. He experiences the same heartbreak when he looks at us and the struggles we go through so we can talk to him openly and honestly about what's going on. Not only does he understand the pain that we feel loving our foster kids and their parents, he understands the pain they're going through as well. He felt the pain of betrayal when Judas and Peter turned their backs on him. God understands these pains so well and knows us so well he doesn't even care if we can find the words to express the feelings and fragments of thoughts flashing through our minds. So several of you have asked how you can help support us. Pray for us, the kids in our foster care, the parents and the social workers is one important way you can help. We know a lot of you have already been doing that and we really appreciate it. We've also had parents do last-minute runs for clothes when we've gotten a placement that didn't have clothes come with them. Um, if you have any clothes of any kind that you're looking to get rid of, let us know. There's a Facebook foster care page that Christine's on and can check to see if anybody needs stuff of that, um, that size. We've also had people that watch our kids so we can get stuff done. This is something that all foster parents need, and signing up to be a respite provider will get you on an email list where those requests go out. It's very low pressure. It's just an email. You don't start getting phone calls until people know you. Um, doing respite is also a good way to get a feel of whether or not foster care is something that you want to progress forward in. Uh, if it's something that you're considering, I strongly encourage you to start doing respite and see how it goes. For anyone that's able to take older kids, teens and preteens, there's especially a need there, and that's a need that Christine and I can't meet right now. Um, but one of the most important ways that you can help is to treat our kids like they're our kids. Any foster that comes into our home is part of our family while they're here. Anything you can do to make them feel like they belong and welcome will help with that. We've already had a number of people do it, and it, it makes a big difference. Um, but we do also need to understand that these might be kids that aren't used to sitting for an hour and a half in church. So they might act out and be more restless. And just understand that, like we do with all kids, um, thank you. <laughs>